Hi, Jay. Hey, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm just lovely. How are you? I'm doing very well. And uh, we are continuing our run of guestful um, episodes. We have seen more the... people in quarantine isolation than we did when we were. Oh, weren't. very, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, here's we have someone on this week that I don't think we've had on before. Uh, she is a, a pre-PhD candidate. Yeah. So Rachel Jones, pre-doc Rachel Jones is, is back. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Jay. So in a previous episode, uh, Tyler posed us a question related to the uh, different groupings of animals. A murder of crows, a, uh, a, what was it? A cauldron of bats. A cauldron of bats and a congregation. A congregation of alligators, alligators yes. Mm-hmm. And I asked the question: If if how many does it take to uh, to qualify as a grouping? And we, we seem to land on four. So here's my question: If I could magically clone you, and there were four Tylers or four Rachels in the room, what would your grouping be? What is a collection of Tylers or a collection of Rachels? Thanks, by the way, to Ed Sutter who asked this question a lot. So that I'm stealing. Oh, nice. oh, I'm stealing. I really like that was that was kind of where I was gonna go with the question, but the in the last episode, but the way in which you asked it was much better. Mm. Well you go first then, because you had time to think about it. I think in the past I've called it a nerd of Jason's. Oh nice. Yeah. I I have mine. I just thought of it. As soon as I forced you into it, <laughs> I realized what mine is. I'm happy I could help. I think it's the I think so here's my my rationale behind it. You have to find a word that is not incredibly common, but but still one that people know. Yeah. That is just that makes no sense, but <laughs> but the word itself is a fun word to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, and so here mine is a cataclysm of Tyler's. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. My second choice, because cats have like five choices, my second choice would be a Nickelodeon of Tyler's. Ah, yeah, I get that. Another word, very fun to say. That's yeah. a really good one. I genuinely have no idea. Okay, well let's let's do this then. Let's let's name each other. Oh man. In that oh, sense. No. So so for Jay. Oh boy. But in in the most positive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're, obviously we're not gonna pick gently, each other. gently, gently. Yeah. So I would say a shoehorn of Rachel's. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why the, the reaction. Uh, obviously, the obviously that shoehorn has teeth. Obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously. And for Jason, I would give you a a frenzy of Jason. I'll take that. I'll take that. I gotta go with a rowdy of Tyler's. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Rachel, the the world that the word that keeps coming to my mind, it doesn't make any sense, which is almost why it makes sense. A fulcrum of Rachel's. Ooh. Yeah. I'm into that. Just, that one sounds good. Yeah. That one sounds good. See, the so the problem is, I swear, I'm genuinely really bad at naming things. I can't think of ones for like, you guys either. I swear I'm trying. <laughs> well, I got another one for Rachel then. A stanza <laughs> of Rachel's. Stanza, oh, a stanza of Rachel's. Yeah. That is a good name just in general. Like, that's a good one. Yeah. I feel like it's more accurate I'm- for Jay, honestly. A stanza of Jay? Yeah, he's more like actually musical I know than have I a, am. Yeah, I want to have a character called Tony Stanza. <laughs> His comic book would be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Jay. 
I'm Tyler. And I'm Rachel. And this, this is Rubbing the Pastor. clarified too that it, uh, the abject horror you would feel if any four identical people walked into a room like if there were four tylers anywhere that's horrifying apologies to all the quadruplet fans we have out there i'm talking MJ's identical hatred, uh, hatred of more than triplets identical though yeah like quadruplets <laughs> not all of them i twins they're not identical it's funny, Jay, because you started asking the question, and I immediately thought you were going in the direction of, like, what would you have the four different versions of you doing? Um, mm. And and you went in a very different direction than what I was expecting. Rachel, what would you have the four different oh, no. versions of you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. You should have seen that come a mile away. I should have, which is, I'm, I'm a fool. Um, no, I'd have one version cleaning. I'd have had one version folding laundry. I'd have one version studying for my exams that I'm taking in a month, and then I would be playing Animal Crossing. There we go. So straight multiplicity. Yeah, that's it. You're just the plot of multiplicity. Correct. Yeah. I don't know about the other three, but I need at least one of me to just catch up on all the movies and TV shows Tyler recommends to me <laughs> over the course of a roughing the pastor. Just don't sleep. That's 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 the secret. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Sleep's overrated. No, totally is. Yeah. Speaking of movies that Tyler has been badgering me to watch. Presents back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? <laughs> He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. It works! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. Just playing out loud, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown can help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. I had a success and all I, I, I am uh, one of my favorite things in life is to share media and movies and, and recommendations with folks, uh, people that I love with music and movies and TVs that I love. And uh, I've shared many things with Jay and uh, every once in a while, he'll, some of them will get through and actually finally, pay attention to them. <laughs> the best one of all time. Uh, back to the future. Back to the future. 
So when was it? This was probably a month ago, month and a half ago. No, it had to be longer, right? Because we it was like June. You had just watched it. Yeah, when we when we recorded the original episode, I had watched. This again is one of the. It's a re-record of one of the lost episodes from. We talked about this uh, in a previous week. Yeah, I had watched one and two and the beginning of three. Uh, and I'm pleased to report that at the re-recording almost a month later, I have watched one and two and the beginning of three. <laughs> oh, no! oh, I was going to say, what did you think about the end of three? Yeah. Well, it's Tyler texted me today and he was like, hey, could you do the new Rachel episodes today? And I was like, oh, yeah, I had Aww. not enough time to get my homework done. Uh, but I, how far, what, so what, what has happened in three so far? They are, like, ju- what's, they are just about to go back whatever year they go back to in the wild west oh they haven't even gotten to the the very very beginning of so you're like 10 minutes into the yeah yeah (laughs) it was one of those like i'm starting this and then realized no that's a bad idea there's no retention left in this brain and i shut it down yeah so the whole movie takes place in the wild west and you have not yet got correct (laughs) correct so that's like in the first movie saying this movie's about time travel and no one ha- you haven't seen a time machine and Libyans yeah yeah <laughs> something about Libyans so far it's just a movie about a kid who tried out for the, the school play yeah. the school band and, and didn't make it didn't get there well that's still wonderful again because it'll be easy to recreate what we did yeah it's, it's exactly the same there's fre- so same palette having been someone who still within the last three months uh-huh. you were first introduced to this American cinematic classic Give us your take on. Tell us how you would describe. Well, like, what is the plot of this movie, and and what is your feelings on this? Movie? Well, I think I said on the first go round of this that American cinematic classic is the right collection of words to put to this. Like, even just watching it, um, it felt like a movie from a better time. Uh, at, at, like, even down to like the score, uh, the kind of like hopefulness to it. Even it, it, at times campy, but like not overly campy. Uh, no, I, it was really, really good. Uh, and two is better than one, I think. Two gets a little bit... Ooh, yeah. Two is two starts to take you into some more interesting possibilities with the overall time travel uh, phenomenon, which mm-hmm. the whole time of that, this just shows you what level of nerd I am. I was just debating how Avengers Endgame completely discounts <laughs> the theory of time travel. <laughs> Uh, proposed I do Back love in Avengers Endgame how much they keep referring to Back to the Future. Yeah, like well, back, that's how Back to the Future did it. Like that's their whole logic for why they can go back in time. I'm sorry, is, is the, your is plan it? to save the world based on Back to the Future? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, and that's that's another testament to the movie too. Is there were so many cultural references to this film or these films that were going over my head. Like, people would just talk about sports almanacs, and I'd go, what, huh? Um, but, yeah, I, I get it now. And it, it, it lives up to the hype. Like, that's that, mm-hmm. that's always something that troubles me when there's something I'm this far behind on. Uh, that people are like, oh, it's the best movie ever, and then I watch it, and I'm like, no, it's really not. Um, this one absolutely lives up to the hype. Matt Fricker is phenomenal in this film. <laughs> uh, he just... He really kills it in all For, former former guest of the pod. Uh, check out the theology of Armistice Day, one of our really very special episodes. Yeah, uh, and Matt Fricker just knocks it out of the park in that. Matt Fricker looks identical to to uh, Thomas F. Wilson, the guy who plays Biff yeah. in all three of these movies. What a great name for a for a kind of protagonist or antagonist. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, Biff. 
That I, I'll go to bat. I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I think Thomas Wilson is the unsung hero of these of the trilogy. Yeah, he is really a great actor for someone who was really just never in anything else. Yeah, I mean he's like bit parts and everything and other things, but he's never featured again. And he is just he's killing it in this role. There's a lot more going on with Biff and with the various iterations of Biff. Yeah, than we give credit for. Well, and even I, I said this last time too. Like, and he does this well. Almost all the actors in these movies do this well too but like sometimes in a movie you get a character that like the actor has to portray starting point a and ending point b and the character has to grow from one to the other and their ability to show you that growth is is what makes or breaks a performance all of these characters had like four different you know it was starting point a but then ending point b c d e and f depending on where you were in the timeline and they all nail it so well in terms of like, well, here's what Marty would look like if he got fired on a fax machine or 18 fax machines or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> um, but here's Marty when he's super self-confident and super, you know, with it and, and has it all together. So like the ability to play those different versions of the characters is really, really well done. And that's where, where Biff, the act, Thomas Wilson, is doing so much of the heavy lifting that we don't notice. That he is the character who we get the most versions of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's real nuance in each of the versions of, of Biff. Both the Biff as a high school kid, Biff as 1985 jerk uh, at the very beginning, Biff as 1985 kiss up, uh, <laughs> who's secretly a jerk but like pretend like uh, is just uh, trying to talk nice to to Marty's dad. Like I always feel this. He's the sweetest Biff. I care the most about that Biff because I feel really sorry for him. Uh, but then you see at the beginning of the second one that he's still really real Biff under that. He's just pretending. And and then old Biff and then old West Biff, which you haven't met yet. I haven't met old West Biff Bu- Buford Tannen. <laughs> oh, man. Mad Dog. And then doesn't he, doesn't he also play the teenage version who bullies Marty's son? Oh, yeah. Griff. Yeah. <laughs> and then Donald Trump. Uh, Biff Tannen. Yeah. Which is yes. 100%. They said they, it is based on Donald Trump. Like, it's not an accident when you see that, but they, even at the time, obviously yeah. at the time, there was no reason not to say it. They're like, yes, this is Donald Trump. So in 1989, when they made the sequel, the worst thing that they could imagine was that Donald Trump was in charge of the town. And uh, <laughs> what if, then what uh, happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can see it's pretty. We're living in alternate reality <laughs> bad version of 1985 yeah. uh, Rachel what is your what's your take on these movies uh, so I grew up with these movies um, and so I can't this is one of those things where I can't remember the first time I saw Back to the Future um, when I was a little kid I also actually liked the second one the most because um, I also I liked the way that it opened up the world I liked the way that it played with like alternate universes of what could come out of this version of time travel um and and stuff like that was it was very fascinating to me um i've always loved them i've gone kind of back and forth in terms of how good i think the movies are um when i have been in like more critical places with how the story is told and like things that are left hanging versus times where i'm more just kind of willing to be led along by what they give us and then not question them as much um which is kind of more where i'm at with them right now i guess um where i feel like for the most part they set up a great universe for themselves and i'm willing to have fun with it that's how i feel i think to that yeah i think to that degree that there, there are obviously some holes 
there are plenty of holes. Um, and the deeper they get into um, the mythology of it in the second one, I mean, the second run is really kind of pulling back the curtain and showing you a lot of the 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 weirdness of time travel mm-hmm. and really doubling down on that and and taking a lot of risks. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you if you want to punch holes in it, there's a lot of places you can. But at the, at the same way, um, I think the movies operate like a good magic trick in that you know, like you watch David Blaine do something, you know he's not actually doing it. And you kind of, you want to know like, well, how'd you do it? But at the same time, you know, it's more fun to just believe that he's magic. Yeah. Like to, to, I know that he's not really magic, but it's more fun to just not know how the trick works. Cause as soon as the, you know how the trick works, it's less magical. And I think that Back to the Future's presentation is so good that even though we know that there's a lot of holes, we're willing to go along with it because it's so fun in the way that it presents this stuff. Whereas movies that are that are, take themselves a little more seriously or really try a little harder to to convince us to overlook those holes, we're more critical of. Well, that's um, it, it. Does such a good job of getting you to suspend disbelief. Like yeah. I, I always joke about. I was watching Superman Returns, a movie that should get its own episode at some point. Uh, but mm-hmm. when it first came out, there's a scene where a cab driver's got a cigar and there's a big earthquake in Metropolis and he drops the cigar into the sewer and a gas line busts open and the whole gas line sewer catches fire because this guy's cigar went down and the guy sitting next to me in the theater went, oh, that would never happen. <laughs> and I was like, bro, there's a dude flying around in blue tights and a cape and we're going to focus in on the cigar. Like, you ne- for as much as they're dealing with time travel and the craziness of space-time continuum, you're along for the ride the whole way through these movies. Like, there's never a point yeah. where you're like, oh, that wouldn't work. Um, just well, and I said this. Uh, I definitely said this on the the when, the first time we recorded this that that didn't get there. So I apologize if there's repeating. And I think it actually even came up in the um, the the best of the '80s that I did with Jimmy, which is interesting. We did that. We recorded that after the Back to the Future one was recorded, the pr- first one, but before we knew it was bad. So there were several times in that episode where I kept talking about how we already talked about this, and I had to cut most of them out, and I think I missed one <laughs> that Rachel found. Yeah. Um, so there's it. definitely there's a subtle point in there where I do say, as we talked about last episode, when, in referring to Back to the Future. Um, but one of my favorite things that I think it does really well is um, – it gives you just enough of an explanation. Mm-hmm. I think we go to the movies, like you went to the Superman movie, buying into the idea that there's a guy wearing tights flying. Yeah. Like you are ready. Like, I believe this. Like you go to a Harry Potter movie or, or a Harry Potter book, believing like, yes, wizards are real. You don't need to explain it. I am on board with that. Uh, but you do need to like deal a little bit with it. Like why can't regular people see wizards? Okay. I got that. There we're good. Why doesn't everybody recognize that he's Clark Kent? Or because he's that he's Superman? Oh, because he puts glasses on. Okay, that's dumb, but I'll buy it. Like, let's go. I just need any kind of reason to go for it. And this does, I think Back to the Future is one of the best examples of they give you, they're dealing with science without ever giving you any real science. And they give you enough fake science that's just enough. Like when they, he goes up and Marty asks the classic question, like, how can you travel in time? And he says, well, he tells the stories like, well, I was, hanging a clock in my bathroom and I fell off the toilet and I hit my head. And that's when it came to me, the thing that makes time travel possible. And like the build up to that is like, yeah, what is it? And then he just says the flux capacitor. Yep. And that's such a great name. You're like, 
of course. Like that's it. Like it's just it doesn't mean anything. They don't explain what it does, and they and had they explained any more than that, it would have been too much. Yeah. And then you'd be like, what? But they don't tell you anything other than this is the essential part. And this is the only reason why no one's been able to travel in time because they haven't created a flux capacitor. And as soon as you create a flux capacitor, and even this guy had to hit his head and have some kind of weird vision, and that's the flux capacitor. And I and another movie, I think I said this in the 80s podcast, but I feel like Ghostbusters does that really well too, where they're, they're dealing with science but not dealing with science. And there's a scene where they explain how when you catch a uh, – they're explaining it to Winston, how you catch a ghost and it goes in the trap and you put the trap in the containment center and the light is green, the trap is clean. Boom. That's all you need. Yep. And you're like, oh, okay, that's how they're catching. And the, the, the proton pack, like they use all these words that sound like science. Yeah. And it just feels like, okay, and there's rules to it. Don't cross the streams. I also well, – Okay, I got this. When we when we talked about it last time, I brought up like yeah. one big example of a plot hole that I think is there that like it doesn't make sense that the Biff from the future is able to go back in time and then come forward in time again. Um, but then yes. like two weeks after we recorded, I'm standing and brushing my teeth and then suddenly it hits me. That technically, actually, in the universe of the time travel that they set up for us, it does make sense. Um, where, like, Marty goes back in time and him initially changing just his parents' meeting doesn't erase the future right away. Um, Not away, and, yeah, it, it takes, takes a little And so time. the movie seems to, like, set up this universe for us in which if time travel is possible, which in the universe it is, then there is a period of time where these two different versions of time are running parallel to each other, where, you know, Doc draws that mm-hmm. that diagram in the second movie when he's explaining this to Marty. These two versions are running parallel. Um, and so theoretically, while they're running parallel, before the, pa- the changed past splits off, you could return back to the future in, like, the way that it existed when you traveled back into the past. Before mm-hmm. the 1955 Biff decides for sure like okay i'm going to gamble like the fact that older biff returned to the future before biff had made that decision well and even in that the the um there was a deleted scene in that um in uh episode two or uh, episode two uh back to the future part two um when old biff goes back to 2015 in the future and he shouldn't be able to exist there because that future is now no longer going to exist um and they had filmed a scene where Biff brings the the time machine back and then slowly goes behind a dumpster and d- disappears. Mm-hmm. And they had it in there for that exact reason of, like, he shouldn't be able to exist here and he should disappear just like Marty was doing at the beginning of the first one. Um, but they said when they put it in there, it just confused people because yeah. they weren't making that connection. And they put that in there to, to take out the plot hole. But by explaining the plot hole, it made it too confusing. People thought, why did he disappear? Why is he so there? So when you watch it now, there is this awkward thing where Biff, old Biff gets out of the car and is like in pain. And it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. And then you never see old Biff again. Um, but that's, I think, to the to the point about it, it's almost back to your uh, your discussion about video games and like pushing the boundaries of games. Yeah. Like a good solid movie, particularly like a sci-fi thing, um, will give you the boundaries of something. But how they give you the boundaries is almost as important um, as what the boundaries are. So like Back to the Future gives you the just right amount of birth. Like here's the science. Here's you know how that science can bend and mold. But you can start asking questions and poking at the science and see what it does. Um, you know, again, Ghostbusters is a good example, even back to the end game and the Avengers, like they too are dealing with time travel, but they're going to do it in a different way. So they have one scene that says, 
here's our whole philosophy of yeah. why here's this the rules is different. of what we can do right yeah and as soon as you buy that you're like oh okay well if this happened this happened like you can go down the different what if this what if that um so the movies that are but like the movies that way too over prescribe that and say these are the rules and these are how and let me close that door for you and let me lose that those yeah. just aren't fun like it's just too much well, and it's it's that that sense of like as story, even just basic stories. We like the once upon a time there was a dragon, and the dragon stole the princess and then did this thing like that. We don't need to know everything about the back. This is, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of my criticism. Not to get onto this, but my criticism of the Star Wars prequels. Yep. I think Star Wars Darth Vader is a more interesting character when you don't know why he became Darth Vader. I think a, an argument could be made that it becomes a more Shakespearean kind of tragic character when you know his fall, but I think you don't need to. And unless you navigate that really well, it raises too many other questions. And like, why, when they're trying to hide his son, do they name him Skywalker and have him live with the play, live with the people that he grew up with? Like that's a plot hole that, that wasn't there if you don't have those prequels. And I think, um, one of the things that that Back to the Future really does well is it gives you just enough of the once upon a time there was a this and here's how this works and and now we're just going to go with the story and if you wanted to sit there and say no we need to figure this out like that you can be a party pooper and really kind of rain on the parade of this movie but it's just a story that's trying to give you the parameters and it does just enough yep. like that's I, th- a movie like this a movie like Ghostbusters really give you the enough that you are not only willing to buy in, but you're on board. And those are two different things. A lot of movies I'm willing to buy into where it's like, I'll do the work that like, okay, people don't recognize Superman when he's Clark Kent. Okay. That's silly, but you're all committing to it. So I'll go along with you. Whereas (laughs) this is, and that's, this is not me picking on Superman. That's just in our culture. That's one of the, I have a defense of that. And if you bring it up one more time, I'm going to launch into a nerd rant, but I'll let it go. I'll bring it up one more time. I want to hear your defense. Why can people not recognize Clark Kent when he simply just has glasses? It's not the simply just has glasses. That's too little. Uh, So my, it's the suit too. No, it's the whole demeanor. So like I have, I took a page out of the Tyler Domsky playbook and saw a sale for the entire Superman collection on iTunes, uh, the the Chris Reeves, Chris including Reeves. Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Yeah, oh, I watched that the other day just to see how bad it was. Oh boy, it's terrible! Holy cow, is it bad? But they also do not like. You can see the sets; like they're just like whatever, yeah, man. It, it, make cash payable to Warner Brothers. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but even in that movie, I think part of what sucks about it is Chris Reeves loses this. I think Chris Reeves is the best Clark Kent there's ever been. And that's he's fantastic. And that's he's fantastic. Every bit is important. And so my hypothesis is I actually think Christopher Reeves could play Clark Kent without the glasses and still pull it off. Because it's about Yes, but I also think I as a kid I I was like all in, I was like Chris Reeves is a great Clark Kent. He's an okay Superman. Right. And that's we haven't yet had somebody that can pull them off both simultaneously really well, but yeah. he got closest to it in that he's a different person as Clark Kent than he is. It's like Dean Kane is the absolute worst example of this, like the, of Superman of Clark Kent slash Superman. Uh, I like Dean Kane. I'm, I'm an apologist of the Lois and Clark Chronicles. Love the show, but he yeah. is the exact same person in the glasses as oh, he yeah. is in the cape. Straight up, and yeah, at that point, up. you're like. 
how does she not see this? Like he's just wearing glasses. Yeah. When it's the like he hunches his shoulders and he he kind of talks real quiet like this and he's, he he fades back into the background. Like you would never assume this person is the strongest man on earth unless you spend a lot of time with both of them. I still don't. Like, and it, that's the other piece of the comics. Like Lois and Clark never work together. Like it's no. it's always Clark's always like in the back writing the obituaries and like the, the quiet stuff and the like. Like he's supposed to not be noticed. It's not Why, just so, the glass. I was going to say, how, I don't just do the glass. how did you get here? Let's visit one more house on this side road that we're on. And I would say that <laughs> Which this Which I've is, never watched, so I... I... You shouldn't have left. As soon as you left, we started talking about Superman. When the referee uh, leaves the room... Rachel, we Rachel had to step away for a little bit because her cat threw up all over the place <laughs> and then she had to deal with that. And as soon as she was gone, we started talking about Superman. Uh, we were unsupervised the, the, for literally 30 so, seconds. Here's the so the criticism one of the many criticisms that people have of the Christopher Nolan Christian Bale Batman mm. is that he is constantly speaking in this really stupid voice. But I think that is actually if you're trying to disguise who you are, it's perfect. Yep. And yes, it's kind of a stupid voice just in general, but if you're if you're trying to sound intimidating yep. and you're trying to get people not to recognize you, no one's going to like I think they do that incredibly well. Yeah. That Christian Bale acting as Bruce Wayne is so different than Christian Bale acting as Batman. And, and both of the, like the interesting thing about the Christian Bale interpretation, which I think is a very realistic interpretation, not just because it's the D the gritty DC. Like, I think those movies are fantastic. Oh, they're great. Talk about them another time. Um, But what Christian Bale is doing is that both Bruce Wayne and Batman are alter egos. Yes. The true Bruce Wayne is the one that Alfred sees and the one that he even kind of denies. Like he's basically like, I don't care about who I am. Mm -hmm. I just care about being able to make a difference in the world. And so I'm pretending as Batman, which is a little closer to who I am, but that's still a disguise. And I'm really pretending as Bruce Wayne. Whereas that was always the interesting thing about Superman is that Superman is real when he's Superman. Whereas every other superhero is real. Like the, the superhero is their alter ego. Yeah. Like, like Bruce Wayne is the real, but, but Christian Bale did it. Like in those movies, Chris Nolan nailed the idea that even Bruce Wayne is an alter ego. Even Bruce Wayne, this playboy Bruce Wayne has to be so different than someone who would save the world that no one would suspect him. Not only does he not really look like him because there's a disguise, but you couldn't ever think that this guy would do anything selfless to care for people and risk anything other than being a playboy around town. But all that anyway, is to say, all that is to <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. the 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 plot holes that those kind of superhero movies allow us to poke in them. Yes, I yes. tried with Back to the Future, and it's not easy to do. Like they button it no. up pretty well that you can go. You can find them if you want to be real pedantic about stuff, right. but it's uh, you have to be a party pooper. Yeah. To really pick it apart, especially, I mean, like as you get into the third, the second and third have the subplot of Marty that is really thrown on. Of the chicken to, nonsense. Uh, this was one thing that I had said the, the the first time we recorded this, and I, I think I said this in the <laughs> '80s video too, or the '80s episode. <laughs> yeah, the chicken nonsense. Well, and and I I uh, mm. I did make the argument, which which Rachel, I'm going to say it again, so that Rachel, you can say what you did last time. That the interesting thing about Marty McFly mm-hmm. as a protagonist is that he doesn't have any like growth as a protagonist. 
like which is really interesting like he starts the movie and ends the movie in kind of the same place except rachel pointed out that he starts off performing at that like or auditioning to be at like the performer at some gig uh for his high school and when he does not get accepted immediately his initial instinct is like yeah and and so he (laughs) he decides that he might just be a failure and that he should just give up on his music Um, which is, like, essentially setting it up for him to go on the same path as his dad Um, and and just kind of settle for whatever he can get versus things that he has to, like, actively shoot for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, his journey over the course of the first movie is learning that maybe he can be more of an advocate for himself after all. Um, and that he might be really good at his music, um, which culminates then in the Johnny Be Good performance um, that, you know. And they even spell it out at the end with with mm-hmm. uh, George's book where he says, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything, which is like, I completely missed that. And you are 100% right. And I was 100% wrong that he does have a really well-defined character arc that's a subtext to everything that's going on because the, the main plot is him trying to figure out everything else. But there is that legitimate growth and a, a satisfying conclusion to that arc, which then they had concluded it so well in right. the first one that they throw on this stupid, Oh, Marty's always had a problem with people call him chicken, uh, which is so, like, and I remember even, um, uh, so I like you, Rachel can't remember before I saw the first one, but I do remember seeing the second and third one in the theater. They came out in, I think the fall of 89 and then the spring of, of 90. So it was like six months between them. Um, and I saw both of those in the theater. I was nine years old. And I remember seeing the chicken, like them saying Marty had a problem when people call him chicken thinking, no, he didn't. What are you talking about? This is, that's not who Marty McFly is. He doesn't care about other people he, or other, what other people think. He's just, he's his own person. And, uh, and that part seemed like they really needed an additional character arc to get it. And uh, that's the biggest hole to me that I'll just like, I'll accept it because yeah. I understand that without that, they don't really have a, they don't have as much of a journey for Marty to go on other than he's our guide to accomplish all these things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's okay. And it gives Flea something to do, which is always nice from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, the one thing that I would say uh, about the second one, because both of you have said the second one is the best one for you. Uh, I still think the first it, one it is... It was is, my favorite. I think the first one is better. Yeah. I, I think the yeah. first one is just perfect as a movie. What I love about the second one is kind of what I love about Empire Strikes Back and other kind of improbable middle movies uh, is that it is doing so much heavy lifting in terms of storytelling and doing so many things. It's spinning so many plates that shouldn't work. Yeah. And again, it does. It doubles down on what, Mar- what, what Back to the Future does really well, the first one, uh, of pushing it right to the limit of giving us a lot of complicated things and explaining it in a way that makes sense. Um, Back to the Future 2 like quadruples down on that and gives you as much mind-bending stuff as you can handle in a movie like this while still making sense. It gives you alternate realities, alternate timelines. It gives you how time travel and the interaction that goes on within it, why we have to go back to 1955 in a way that makes sense, not just like a cheesy way to do it. It goes into the old movie and we are interacting with other Marty McFly in a way that, and I asked this question last time, uh, which I think is really interesting, and, and it's a question that my wife and I always get into when we when we talk about this. So is so Marty McFly 
at the in the in the end of the second one at the in the third act of the second movie um few, so there's again let's call it Marty Prime so Marty Prime is the Marty McFly in the first movie and then Marty 2 is the Marty McFly from Back to the Future Part 2 and is so like during the the Johnny B Good um performance he is up in the rafters trying to get away from Biff's goons so the question is in Mar- in Back to the Future 1 is Marty 2 up in the rafters is this a cycle that has always happened or uh my argument is that marty prime in back to the future one there's only marty prime and that the loop doesn't start until that second cycle but it depends on kind of what your your if time travel exists in a loop that doesn't have a beginning um in that sense was the was marty two always there did that always have to happen for this cycle to begin or was there a first round through do you get my meaning yeah and i i think i might change my and again maybe i'm break this is where you start to break the like bending this logic a little too much yeah what it becomes a compelling thing for but me. that's what makes a movie have staying power i think is that you can have conversations like this i mm-hmm. think and rachel might be able to back me up on this or not i think i need to see how three ends before i can answer that question because uh it won't answer that question that's a <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. I think it does answer the question. See, that's a, I, I think the ultimate ending impacts where the all those little changes needed to happen along the way. So, like, if, depending on how it ends, or, or yeah, I, I guess I will go as far as it depends before I finally get around to doing my homework and watching the third one. Rachel, what was your without really revealing too much about three? If you could do it, what was? How does three bring that up? Because I think I remember that, but I don't remember what the point was. Three has something in which after Marty returns to the future, well, returns to 1985, um, we have evidence that he was there in the past where it was not there before he traveled to the Old West. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say the the Twin Pines, Lone Pines Mm -hmm. situation. Right. The, there's the Twin Pines, Lone Pines, and then there's... That's in the first one. There's uh, In the third one, then there's also a piece of evidence yep. Yep. that's comparable to that. Yep, I'm, I'm with you now. <laughs> so, but the interesting... So, the, the question still remains, like, once that has happened, that loop always perpetuates, but was there a time before that happened? So, particularly because Marty Prime shouldn't be in 1955 to begin with. So, obviously, Marty Prime being in 1955 changes things. Um but in order for Marty Prime to have accomplished Johnny B. Good successfully the first time, did Marty 2 have to be there to save the day? Because much of what Marty 2 did to put Marty Prime in peril was wouldn't have been there had Marty 2 not been there. Right. Like the goons wouldn't have come in to get Marty had they not been tr- Marty Prime, had they not been chasing Marty 2 into the room. Now, now it's just a big spaghetti mess. I need a Tylenol. But yeah, <laughs> yeah the, it's a conundrum of Tyler's, yeah. is what it is. Uh, <laughs> but so, I mean, again, and that's a that's a kind of late night, long term conversation where there's no real answer to it, and it's just a kind of one's opinion on on time travel. But that's what I love about the second one is that it really the whole idea of alternate realities and how like the butterfly effect, basically chaos theory of doing one little thing changes all this stuff. Biff getting. Uh, the Gray's Almanac to bet on all these things and make all this money for 50 years um, changes, or for 30 years at that point, changes everything about Hill Valley. 
not just about Biff, not just about um, uh, Marty's mom, but about the entire town. Like, and Biff didn't leave Hill Valley. He just stayed in Hill Valley and made that his own kind of Atlantic City in terms of the, the Trump analogy, yeah. uh, which I think is really interesting. There's one thing that, that um, someone pointed out. I can't remember where I heard this. I'd never noticed it before. Um, but, and I don't know if either of you had, I can't remember if I said this last time. So uh, when Marty's in 1985 in Back to the Future, the first one, um, there is the um, the ad for Mayor Goldie Wilson. Progress is his middle name. Mm-hmm. And vote Goldie Wilson. He goes back to 1955. There are ads for uh, re-elect Mayor Red Thomas. Progress is his middle name. He goes back to 1985. The bum's name that he this is crazy drunk drivers is named Red. Huh. Is that the mayor from 1955? Oh. And he even says, oh. Red, thank goodness. Like he's saying about all the things that are normal in 1985, and he says, oh, Red. And when he goes in in the second one, Red is back, and he even says very clearly, Red. And he goes like, crazy junk pedestrians. Is that the mayor from 1955? Huh. Oh. I had never heard that before, like, the last, like, two months. So I can't remember. I heard it on podcast or read it somewhere. So I'm going to have to but I never have made to that go connection. back and look. So, all that, all that is to say, by the by, that there are there are levels to this trilogy. Even I've seen it probably count. I mean, like thousands of times. I've seen these movies. Yeah, there's still stuff that I pick up yeah. when I watch them. And that's that's I think part of what makes the movie great is it's such a big playground um, mm-hmm. that you can you can do all this stuff with. Um, that they like give you some boundaries. Flux capacitor being one of them. Like, don't worry about how we're doing this. Just, and plutonium, yeah. like that. There is like you, you can't. It's not just unlimited trips to the future. Like it becomes in two when that actually becomes helpful. Right. That we we don't need a plot where they don't have enough mo- like fuel to get back. We need Mister Fusion who just kind of eliminates that plot so we can. Now we've got new new boundaries. Yeah. But it, it takes away the how and it gives you the the what would happen if, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of it. So here's my question. To 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 kind of and maybe this is a deep question, but. So in the first movie, Marty goes back in time, not not specifically with the agenda of changing things. Uh, he gets sent back by accident when he's trying to get away from the Libyans. But while he's back there, decides that there are things about his past that he could fix for the better as he's back there. Given the same opportunity, would you? If you were able to go back in past and say, oh boy, if I change this thing here, that thing there, w- would you take it? Or would you just leave well enough alone knowing that you could turn, you know, Pittsburgh into Atlantic City and really mess things up? Or maybe that's what somebody did, and that's why we have coronavirus. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so I, I have always had a really good example in my own life of, like, here's a reason why I don't think I would want to change things for myself where I didn't get into college as a senior in high school, any of the places Mm. that I applied. Um, And so I went to community college for a year, and then I went to a liberal arts school that was, like, small, easy to transfer to from my community college because it was local. So they, like, trusted my community college, took most of the credits. I was able to graduate. I happened to end up in a music department where I met a professor who was like, hey, you should do musicology. (laughs) 
And that's the reason I'm here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I had gone to college the way that I expected to, like, I don't know whether I would have ended up in a music department like the one that I ended up in because I mostly applied to larger schools where that doesn't happen. You don't get to know professors who don't like have you for classes or have you in your in their department um and they don't really work as hard to pull you into a department that you're not a part of already and so like i probably would not be doing what i'm doing right now if i hadn't done what felt like a huge monumental mess up at the time like a big deal mess up and it's the reason why i'm like very happy with where i am right now so I would be reluctant to change other things that happened in my past because for all I know, like they they are propelling me in somewhere productive. And also I feel like I've learned things that are useful out of most of the things that I've messed up. I think that that's, uh, um, I've often said, and, and there are obviously regrets, especially mm-hmm. when you can see like, I could have fixed that then and I can't fix it now. Right. Um, to me, that's where, in retrospect, you can see God working in and redeeming things that you wouldn't have chosen. Um, and there were, yeah. like, uh, I, I've said many times on the on the podcast before, like, I had no intention of being a pastor. I actually, really, actually actively didn't want to be a pastor because of kind of examples mm-hmm. that I had in my own life of other uh, people who had been pastors and, and really done great damage with that. And I didn't want to be those people. And so I stayed away from it until it became compelling enough that I couldn't deny it anymore. And I had the right people... I was in the right situations where the right failures happened um, to mm-hmm. make me open to go. And, and in retrospect, I see it as God kind of closing doors to say, no, this is where you want to go. Yeah. To get back to the video game thing, God, I, I bumped up against the rails enough that it became clear, oh, the game is trying to push me in this direction. Um, yeah. That's where I think that the calling is more of a pushing. Um, but it's it, like a video game that it'll push you in one direction, but it'll also let you goof around for a while if you if you don't want to do that yet. But ultimately, you're going to have to go in this direction if you want to play the game out. Um, and I think it becomes a compelling thing about seeing God redeem the stuff in our lives. And, and Rachel, like you said, that, that it gets to a point where um, I wouldn't want to change those things because I would I don't know who I'd be or where I'd be without those things. Yeah. Um, that isn't to say that there aren't things that it would be better without. There were, um, it, and it doesn't make me happy that those things happened. Uh, mm-hmm. There were some some tragic things that have happened in my family and, and things like that that I wish hadn't happened. And the fact yeah. that those things have guided me and led me to this place redeems those things, but it, I don't have to be happy that they happened. I don't have to be saying right. it's a good thing that that tragedy happened when I was eight so that I then am the person I am today. Uh, and I don't think that God thinks about it that way either. I don't right. think God is like, well, I'm going to use this tragedy to push them to do that thing. Like, one, God's not an old wizard, like I just <laughs> voiced. But also the the sense of uh, of uh, God using the pain to do something good mm-hmm. rather than causing the pain to do something good, which is a very different situation. Yeah. Well, that's my, my good friend Ed, originator of the what would a collection of use be called question. Um, <laughs> puts a good clarifier on an entirely overused scripture le- or misused scripture uh, passage that God works all things for the good is not the same thing as saying all things are good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, like there are some bad stuff that happens along the way. Like all three, I, I'm with you. I don't think I'd go back and change um, 
pretty much anything, including the failures. Like failure, I think is such a key element of, I would not be a pastor sitting here right now if I hadn't failed out of music school, right? Like that failure was not good. I don't want to call it good. I don't think it ever was good, but it worked toward the good. And it, it started me on a path that like took me somewhere redeemable. Um, so even, and again, there are some things that it might take forever to figure that out what the good it was working towards is. You might not ever sort that out. But I think there's redemptive possibility in just about every act or action that we go through in life. I also think like there's some things that are very clearly things that we can maybe label as like, oh, yeah, that big thing didn't work out to make this other big thing happen. Um, whereas like we might feel really tempted to say like, oh, but maybe I could change like this one little thing that like I lie awake at night thinking about that doesn't seem to have been like any particular of any particular consequence. But I think about it because I'm a human being who lingers on ridiculous stuff. Um, but like then we reach this point of like picking and choosing the stuff that we think is like ours to change in a way that that's not our mm -hmm. place to do. Um, Absolutely. Like as as soon as we start trying to make those choices about like yeah this is this is the call but like this stuff I can I can try and finagle in the way that I, like that's not <laughs> our job we can't do that. What well, and it's that it's the illusion of uh, us being controllers of our own destiny that we mm -hmm. that our failures and our successes were ours to begin with and then there was little minor circumstances that maybe were. Uh, twists of fate but uh, the, we were the ones right. who did those things and I think that um, yes we need to be involved in what happens to us but all three of us are great examples of how none of us got to where we are because we planned on getting here right we all yeah. kind of act and and this movie gets that like Marty's mom and dad meet because his dad hit Marty's her dad hit George with a car because George was peeping in the window uh, in the grossest possible way. Like, it does kind of gloss over some... Yeah, some okay, yeah. Stuff. Some very 80s stuff, but it actually... I mean, like, as far as 80s movies go, it actually doesn't get stuck in there. And some of the deleted scenes of the movie actually show that, we, uh, providentially, there was some more 80s-level things that got cut out and helped the movie be better. Um, but that... I mean, the whole... Everything in this movie happens on accident. And mm -hmm. then he goes on purpose to try to force the accident again and how difficult that is and how so much of our lives, yeah. the people that we meet, the, the friend groups that we're part of, that someone said something to us when we were in second grade and all of a sudden we started liking this thing that then these people liked and so we became their friend instead of those people. Or our last name happened to match up with this person in second grade and so when we got seated by alphabetical order, we happened to be beside this person and that was my friend for four years. Like the it's so much more random and out of our control than we want to admit yep. um, mm -hmm. that instead we create this narrative that we really, we are makers of our own destiny. And again, the American ideal of being the self-made person, the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mm -hmm. and that success is to those who work hard. And it's not to that. Like there are people that play that so hard that, and I legitimately, I feel sad for these kind of people. And the, the best caricature of it is uh, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, a movie <laughs> largely based on my high school experience. Uh, but Uncle Rico is just absolutely stuck in 
if I could have fixed X. That would have mm-hmm. changed everything. Right. Life would yeah. be better. Um, yep. and, yeah. and nobody's quite as comical in that degree. But like, so the, to ask the question of, would you go back and change things can be harmless, but can also kind of be like, maybe, you, maybe the correct, maybe there is a correct answer to that one. Maybe the correct answer is no, because you, you don't want to play that game too much. Like if I had gotten A's in music school, would that have changed my outcome? Yeah. But what else would have changed and who else would I have missed that? Like just live the life you've got now and see where the story takes you next up to and including the failures. One of those things that I always like to, I, I think about this the most um, in like football games or things on sport, things on TV. Yeah. That like one of the tendencies when people are watching sports, regardless of the sport, whether it's baseball or football or hockey or, or whatever, that something like we'll get a bad call in like the end of the second period. And then we'll think, oh, like as, and then we lose the game. We think it's all because of that. If we had just gotten that, we would have won. Mm-hmm. No, because if you would have gotten that, that would have changed everything that happened in the rest of the game. Yep. Yeah. They would be playing different because they'd be one point down. And whatever happened right after that wouldn't have happened. Like that had uh, the pass interference call gone a different way, the entire game after that would be different. Yeah. Had yeah. Um, the player, uh, that pitch that was called a strike, uh, been called a ball and he gotten on base, the entire game would be different from that point. Even if he then got out in the next inning, you would have a different batter up the ne- like the start of the next round. Like the chaos theory that plays out in sports is such a macro or a micro uh, um, example of this. That and yet we love to be people who say, "Oh, it's just that one thing. You change that one thing, and then we win the game." And we like to do that with our lives because, again. We are people of manifest destiny. That is what mm-hmm. America is. Whether we own that or not, that mm-hmm. is still the case. And we think that in our own lives, that God has put me on this place, whether we are not we call it God or just destiny. I, like American Idol was the prime example of this in terms of uh, um, the culture when that first started. So many people came up and be like, I, I want this so bad and mm-hmm. I deserve this. Like I'm destined to be like so many people came in there believing that they were supposed to be a star, yeah. that this is what I'm here for. And it became sad the more you hear people get up there, and the and the coaches would be or the 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 coaches, yeah, the the judges would be like, why should you be on the show? And so many people just say like, I was born for this. Yeah, it's like no, you weren't. No. Like that. And how sad it is if you were born for this because you're not going to make it. None of I, none of the winners were ever the people who said I was born for this. They were just like, I love singing or something like that. Well, like that, that there's even like a yeah. call your shot before it happens. Like in hockey, your sports analogy is right on hockey's one of the worst offenders at this a goalie will make a save and the broadcasters every now and again will say my one of my least favorite things they say is remember that save it might be important later and what they mean to say is that might be the hinge on the game there and 98 percent of the time it's not Mm -hmm. and i think so there's the one side you can get too fixated on the past and what you might be able to change about it the other side is might be looking at all these little moments that might be big moments, yeah. but also might just be a routine save. Like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hinge everything on this one. I see this a lot with kids uh, trying to go to college, like figuring out which college to go to in my youth group. Like, this is such a big choice and my whole life depends on it. And it's like, well, you're probably going to be good either way. Like, it's fine. You know, well, and Rachel, your story is the perfect example, right? Of that, where yeah. not only did you not get the tr- the school you wanted, you didn't get any of the schools you wanted, 
and you went down the route that many people in their mind put as like, well, I don't want to go to community college. That's right. just that. But then you ended up not only exactly where you're supposed to be, but exactly where you didn't know you were supposed to be. Yeah. Which is the best kind of reality. And and you're going to go through probably six or seven more of those in your life. Absolutely. Like that's the other crazy thing is that it doesn't stop. We mm-hmm. still want it to be like, ah, oh, man, I dodged a bullet, but now I'm on this path. Yeah. Like, like uh, again, with movies, like we think like a, a movie like Cars or something like that, where all of a sudden this car had this one trajectory and then he got stuck in this town and now he understands life in a whole different way. And now he's going to be smooth sailing. Like we just want those yeah. changes to alter our course once and then we're going to be fine. Um, and that's not just just the reality is that so much of it is out of our control and so much of it is the failures are just as important as the victories and, and oftentimes more important because they they move us into places that we wouldn't have considered otherwise. Yeah. Hey, if you're on a Twitter machine, what is another movie that allows you the mental flexibility sort of like a Back to the Future, a playground like that you that. enjoy playing on? Could be Harry Potter, could be superheroes, uh, or something we haven't quite thought of yet. Any uh, any things to plug? Either of you? Things we should watch? I have some recommendations. I'll recommend two things. One I recommended a long time ago. I haven't recommended it in a while, but I'll recommend it again. Gravity Falls. I think Gravity Falls is one of the best shows ever made. Uh, it is fan-freaking-tastic. Uh, watch it. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's only 36, 39 episodes. Um, it much like back to the future there's so much more going on in it that uh that you missed the first time and it's hilarious and beautiful and wonderful and uh also watch the miyazaki movies they're all on hbo max right now and adventure time which is on adventure hbo max yes get hbo max that's basically the thing that's hbo max is really really it is amazing i'm surprised at how Yeah. yeah no i thought of one uh, watch Josie and the Pussycats, the movie from 2001. Um, ah, I yeah. watched that this past week, and it was really amazing and incredibly critical of capitalism. Um, so yeah, it really it's a it's an issue movie in a way that you wouldn't think. Yeah, yeah. had you yeah. seen it before? I have. Never. Yeah. Well, my AirPods are dying, so I've been Jay. Oh, nice. And up in Tyler, that's that's my favorite send off is that my AirPods are dying. So I've been Jay. <laughs> I literally can't because of my AirPods I dying. Can't continue I much longer. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been. Uh, and I've been Rachel. Robin the pastor. I think that's what you said. Oh, oh man, you are in Central Time. I am <laughs> number one guest. Rachel Jones is checking in a Truly solid fifteen seconds behind. behind us. <laughs> You're on like the delay that they put people on Saturday Night Live who they're afraid they're going to swear too much. Yeah, like that's. What it is. <laughs> I I genuinely have to work so hard not to swear on your podcast, so that's valid.
spitting up a hairball on my bed. <laughs> Nemo, no. Nemo. I'm so sorry. 